editor-in-chief of fanboyplanet.com welcome to 2022 and i think uh we're calling this season two episode one uh we are celebrating tonight the uh 50th anniversary of kolchak the night stalker although technically really just the night stalker anyway uh with me of course uh producing from the brett cave an undisclosed location in greater san jose rick brett snyder and our special guest tonight, who I guess is actually kicking off the anthology for the 50th anniversary of The Night Stalker, is, of course, David Avalone. Welcome back, David. Thank you. It's lovely to be back with you guys. Yes. Or as I promised to uh, bill you as, the only Los Angeles David Avalone. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, if you're just tuning in for the first time, welcome again. And, of course, if you have any questions, commentary, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. And uh, you can also join the conversation through our Facebook page at Fanboy Planet or Twitter at Fanboy Planet and our Instagram at Fanboy Planet. I'm sure there's something new. I, there are people trying to encourage me to start a TikTok, and I just don't understand that. That's a wind-up guy from Oz. That's all I really know. So uh, you, whatever we do well. Welcome uh, feedback from you. And of course, we are Amazon affiliated so that if we talk about something on this podcast that you'd like to buy for your very own, you can, of course, go through a search box on Fanboy Planet through Amazon and any purchase you made make may generate revenue for us. Although we do, as always, encourage you to uh, shop at your local comic shop if and when at all possible. So let's get into it. 50 years. We are recording this on uh january 11th mm-hmm. and i did not realize of course duh this is perfect marketing that the kickstarter that launched yesterday on january 10th meant that a day later january 11th was the 50th anniversary of the first showing on abc of a television movie called the night stalker which was the highest rated television film and it's funny that like when that was actually a differentiator uh tv yeah. movie uh with a th- 33.2 rating. I did the research here. And, nice. uh, you know, that it was the most popular movie up to that point and was followed the next year in 1973 with The Night Strangler. And then they commissioned a series called first The Night Stalker. Then after four episodes added Kolchak because really The Night Stalker was not Kolchak himself. Right. Right. So it had to be sort changed. of shades, shades of the thin man. Yes. <laughs> yes. Where the where the first right. movie is named after something that has absolutely nothing to do with the hero, and then they're forced to call the whole series that. After the Thin Man, and then the Thin Man loses weight. And Uh, And the Thin Man does keto. Uh, That that was the 21st century revival. Yes. Uh, Yeah, so 
but the interesting thing is hugely and, and, and somehow and this I guess this still happens. Uh, it's actually based on what was then an unpublished novel mm-hmm. called The Kolchak Papers. Um, and I'm giving all this background because this is a character that I'm almost likening now. Stay with me as I say this. Likening to, to Tarzan. A lot of people know who he is, but a lot of people also, those same people, may not have actually encountered him mm-hmm. in any actual meaningful way yes. in fiction or television because they're not super easy to find uh the series which is only 20 episodes yeah. um darren mcgavin the star as carl kolchak uh was an executive producer and tweaked and grew tired of the whole thing but even after a huge ratings impact with the movies the tv series didn't do all that well and yet here we are 50 years later uh celebrating uh moon moonstone publishing has uh given our friend david Evaloni a job uh writing a story for their anthology <laughs> and and uh, alongside some other master storytellers if you will um you know so it's and i also got to mention uh, the fascinating thing I, I i did not realize before is we owe uh night stalker for uh back to the future because bob zemeckis and bob gale Got, cut their teeth on an episode uh, they wrote chopper which was kind of a headless horseman update with a motorcycle um i and i don't i guess that doesn't predate ghost rider but still um so anyway here at moonstone books is doing this 50th anniversary anthology they just launched a kickstarter which is funded five or six times over and i know you know yep. they set they set you set those goals a little artificially low so that when you meet them yes. it's great press but there's still, at the time of this recording, and we hope to get this episode out fairly quickly, there's still like 28 days left in this. Yes, and, and they're at $41,000 from a $14,000 goal. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's, mean, a, it's... No, it's, it's... I'm surprised I shouldn't be, but um, Kolshak is one of those little ghost-in-the-machine things where more people love it and remember it than you think. Because if you had asked me, I would have said, yeah, no one remembers Kolshak, the Night Stalker, except me, David Chase, and not David Chase, excuse me, wrong showrunner. Um, X-Files, Chris Carter. Yeah, uh, Chris Carter. was obviously hugely influenced by it uh, with the whole Monster of the Week and, you know, investigation thing. And uh, the uh, I have to mention the editor of this, who uh, sort of got permission from Moonstone to set it all up, is a guy named James Aquilone. Yeah, um, who's a, a super fan and a, also a writer, and uh, yeah, he uh, he set this project in motion and tweeted about it. And a friend of mine, who's one of the writers on it, a real master storyteller named Rodney Barnes, one of the hardest working men in show business. I think he's writing forty five comic books and show running four television shows at the moment, and uh, that's only a slight exaggeration. Rodney retweeted James, and I thought, oh, man, I would love to have been a part of this. And in a sort of passive-aggressive way, (laughs) I replied to the tweet, oh, man, I would love to have been a part of this. Let me know if you ever do another one. And lo and behold, a couple of days later, I got a message from James saying, uh, love your work on Elvira, love your comic books, and uh, one of our people dropped out, so how about it? 
And I got to say, I think I got uh, a, a message from you on Facebook Messenger after you liked my article about the Kickstarter and said, yes. oh, by the way, I just got a job working on this. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, yeah. What a, I wanted to wait. I waited for I didn't announce it publicly until James did a tweet about it, which was yeah. very gracious and kind and uh, and even better. He was like, well, who do you want to draw it? And uh, I said, uh, and we'll get into what the story is. But for some general reasons, i.e. that he's a great artist and we work very well together. But for the specific reasons that it's a period story and he's so great with period stuff, I asked him to reach out to my buddy Julius Oda, who was the artist on my 1950s set betty page series over at dynamite Which, by the way was a great book so yes people, you. if you if you want to check this out i say this for both of you you know i i know that's in trade because i got it yeah in it trade. is yeah uh and <laughs> so that's how yeah that's how i read your work i find it best to just sit down in one setting and and go through five I, or six well, issues well i i i'm glad it i'm glad it works that way <laughs> certainly it's yeah. it's intended to work that way uh to hold yeah. up that way but anyway he reached out to julius julius was very happy to get the call and said yes. And Julius is also a master of likenesses. So the yes, the combination of being obsessed with period details and getting them right and being someone who I'm sure is going to make. I mean, our story's concept, he's not drawing the Darren McGavin, you know, and love the the basic premise of the story of the book is that each story is from a period a decade in uh in Kolshak's life and I lucked out and got the one I would have wanted to begin with and it's Kolshak as a high school cub reporter in 1930s having his first mm -hmm. assignment and having his very first encounter with the supernatural and James's note to me was that he wanted something along the lines of the first 15 minutes of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade which I thought was a really good way to 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 approach it um so uh julius has the particularly challenging thing of drawing a guy who like looked perpetually middle-aged from the period of about 20 to you know he'll to his death yeah as a as a teenager <laughs> so yeah. we did dig up some old 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 photos or i should say james dug up like a high school photo like a yearbook photo of Darren McGavin. So I think we're going to be going off that a little but bit. But I think this is the secret to longevity in Hollywood. If you if you look like you're 50 when you're 20, <laughs> yeah. you, you'll never oh, age yeah. out of your roles. Oh, yeah. I was just talking about that on my podcast the other day and on some of the other interviews that it's, you know, there are those guys that look old just forever. And I recently watched the first episode of Barney Miller and looked, I was just curious, and I looked it up, and I was almost sorry that I did. That ancient at death's door fish, Abe Vigoda, yes. is two years younger than I am currently. Uh. <laughs> In the pilot episode of Barney Miller, <laughs> he's 54. Now, to be fair, he's playing 61. Because <laughs> he's, he's supposed to be, I mean, much is made of the fact that fish is running up against mandatory retirement which for the nypd in 1977 or whenever it was is only 62 years old so he's definitely not supposed to be 54 uh but he has that carlofian long face yes. oh yeah. yes where he looks 100 years old at all times 
My favorite example of that, there are two others, Hume Cronin. Yes. In 1946, I think, is in the Postmanoris Rings twice, playing the district attorney for the city of Los Angeles. And I'm like, what was he, 24? <laughs> like, but because the man, you know, lived a look long, at, long life. Look at Wilfred but, Brimley. Yeah. I mean, he died, what, just last year? And yeah. Like, he was 40 when he did Cocoon? Yeah. Yeah, with a bunch of, and he's and he's starring as you know he's playing the contemporary of Hume Cronin. Yes, I, that's why that's what triggered it for him. And of Don Amici, who are in their seventies in that movie. Um, and the other great example uh, that I think particularly Generation X is obsessed with, my friend uh, James Urbaniak, the actor, and I oh, yes. always we but we always crack up over how young. Uh, Ed Asner in the first season of Mary Tyler Moore. I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but I think he's under 40. I think Lou Grant, yeah. when we meet him, is like 37 years old. Yeah. The crusty old man is like 20 years shy of, you know, being 60. He's uh, too young to hate, hate Spunk as much as he does. Yes, Yes, exactly. A 37-year-old should not hate Spunk that much. Well, now that we've But anyway, all that to say. All yeah. that to say. You get to all tell his to origin say. story. And we yes. just briefly danced around. So I'm going to ask you ask the question, you know, we you mentioned this is he's like the ghost of the machine. Why of all these character of all the characters there are certainly other concepts like this that have come from the 70s. And mm -hmm. offline, I'm going to talk to you about an idea that I had as I was researching this. <laughs> sure. But, Absolutely. but why has this lasted 50 years? Why are we still talking about Kolchak? Why do we all know him when he's certainly got, not the first? I got two answers for that. Uh, one is we are still talking about virtually every fucking thing that Richard Matheson ever wrote in his entire life. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. We are yes. still talking about Twilight Zone episodes he wrote in 59. We are still talking about Duel when we talk about Steven Spielberg, who he, you know, invented in his way by yeah. giving him an incredible script to direct brilliantly around the same time as Kolchak the Night Stalker. Uh, Matheson was just... I Genius. mean, it's not it's not like he's obscure within our circles, within fan circles, for want right. of a better word. But like the man should be as famous as Edgar Allan Poe uh, or Mary Shelley or Rod Serling. And I'll be the, honest, he may become so. We are just still too I young think, yet after our conversation. I think here. That, like, yeah, I think that I think that may be true, but just as a generator of great ideas and think about, talk about ghost in the machine uh, for two reasons. I recently rewatched um, the last man on earth. Mm -hmm. One, I, I was doing a post-apocalyptic parody with Elvira. And then I was also doing a Vincent price thing with Elvira. So it was sort of a twofer. Ah, yeah. And I had forgotten the degree to which the first film version of Last Man on Earth, the later ones are, of course, the Omega Man and the Omega Man and, and I, I am Legend. Legend, right? Yeah, which, which is, is the, the novella. Title, yeah, yeah, which is the novella. The title. degree to which, uh, all due respect to George Romero, but Night on uh, Night of the Living Dead is just very much 
a retread of the last man on earth. Uh, he, he changes the nature of the monsters, uh, slightly, not a lot. Um, his zombies are very close to Matheson's vampires in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And the story being about a man barricaded in a home, um, you know, he makes it, Romero makes it one night for Matheson. It's, you know, months, but, um, so if you do that, if you extrapolate that, literally all modern zombie stuff comes from Richard Matheson. And for listeners, if you have not watched it, I know Vincent Price kind of in his later years referred to it as silly, but that is the best adaptation. It's of, dark of the novel. as hell. And it and it comes the closest to Matheson's mm-hmm. incredibly brilliant ending. Yeah, it has his which reframes right. the entire story from a different perspective. It doesn't quite go all the way, but it goes further than uh, the Heston movie. And I love, I, I unreservedly love the goofy Charlton Heston movie. That movie was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid, and it's, it's, uh, it's vastly entertaining. It's funny that we're dancing around spoiling a story that is that old. Well, yeah, no, because if somebody yeah. doesn't know it, I mean, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's a it's a even great. Even if you've seen the three great, movies, you right. don't know the ending of that story, which is amazing. And to me. and what I you know, and it's even when we talk about Twilight Zone, you know, like I see this, you don't want to talk about the endings of Twilight Zone right. episodes that Matheson yep. wrote either, because it's like I want you to appreciate it, yes. yeah. to experience it. Yeah. You know, so no, and uh, that and the ending of the novella is exquisite. Yes. Um, yes. And what it pulls off is absolutely. I did an episode of my podcast about. Uh, have you named I that podcast? Have you actually name checked the podcast on this? I podcast? have not. I have not. It's called Pulp Today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find it on the YouTube's. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is also on the iTunes. Um, mm-hmm. If you if you don't want to look at my face and watch me drink liquor. <laughs> Uh, while I tell you, it's and not yeah. a terribly horrible experience. No, it's not terribly. <laughs> so the uh, the and the, the pulp today, I I admittedly use the widest possible dictionary definition of the word pulp, which and is just it's on paper. It's on well, it's on cheap paper, uh, you know. And I even I fudge that a little bit. But look, anything that's ever been in a paperback book is technically pulp. Uh, doesn't have to have originated there. I mean, I do the Odyssey <laughs> in one episode, so you know, I'm I'm taking the definition as far as it can go. Cheap papyrus today, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I I generally introduce a work of pulp literature. I read a section from it and then I talk about it, and uh, it goes all over the place. But I, I and sometimes I have I've had amazing guests on. Uh, to talk about things. Uh, I love it when they bring in something I haven't read so that I can learn about it at the same time as the listener. And uh, yeah, it's it started as a pandemic project. Um, I saw Patrick Stewart reading Shakespearean sonnets on Instagram once a day and went, what's my version of that? Um, and that mm-hmm. turned into me. Yeah. I started with one of my dad's books. For those who don't know, my father was a very prolific a paperback writer to quote the Beatles and uh, wrote a lot of pulp fiction and wrote 36 detective novels about a guy named Ed Noon. And uh, so the first thing I did was read the first Ed Noon novel, uh, a section of the tall Dolores. And the second episode, I read a story from the Maltese Falcon. That's the one thing John Huston cut out of the movie, which I think is a shame. Um, but all that to say it's, uh, I, I did an episode about, um, 
I am legend and the various versions of it. And, uh, but yeah, so answer number one is that Matheson is a giant and created so many things. I mean, people still ask anyone in my generation, what's the scariest thing they've ever seen on television. And they'll talk about that hideous little doll chasing Karen black around. Yeah. 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 Zuni fetish doll in trilogy of terror. So, the way he continued to just be an amazing idea machine uh, for horror stories and science fiction stories. Yeah, I mean, and we haven't talked about somewhere in time. Like, I was just, just gonna, I was just gonna out. bring that up because not just horror, not just science yeah. fiction. I mean, that's like if you are a fan a of romantic somewhere in time, fantasy, that yeah. is the great rom- greatest romantic fantasy ever made. You yeah. know, I, I mean, I'm not saying that personally. I just uh, I hear my aunt's voice constantly when yeah. she first said like yeah you've never seen somewhere in time and she made yeah. me you no, know <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's so his so that's the first answer and the second answer is darren mcgavin not to take anything away from the creators of the series and the people who made it and all of that but television lives and dies on the charisma of its cast um yeah. and mcgavin is just he's a lot of fun to hang out with for an hour um, and his relationship to his boss Vincenzo is very funny, and, and Simon and, and Simon Oakland is indelible in that part as well. And and, uh, and the proof lies in there was a remake mm-hmm. series, and it it did even more poorly. Uh, oh, so yeah. well, and they made the they made the classic bad TV writing mistake, bad writing mistake to me, which is they had to make it that his wife was killed by a monster or something. Right. It's like, they, no, that, that, no. Yeah, that went through it's, Hollywood for a while. And- everybody makes that mistake. It's, you know, it's like, no, the Joker doesn't kill Batman's parents. That's no, no. Then, then once he kills the Joker, it's over and he can stop yeah. being Batman. Yeah. Once he catches the monster that killed his wife, you know, and they did it more successfully on the X-Files by making it that his sister was kidnapped by a UFO when he was a kid. But you know what they smartly did? They didn't tell you that for the first year or two of the series. Right. Well, I also believe they didn't know. that was yeah, Oh, so, totally. No, that's absolutely <laughs> true. They just like, oh, you know, it'll be a cool backstory. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, and- it's. And we should mention Darren McGavin appeared. He would not appear as Kolchak, though I know Chris Carter had asked him to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he appeared as a different character who inspired yeah. the the X Files directly. And but you're right. right. There's something about Darren McGavin that uh, that it just is compelling to watch and fun. And I, I'm going to confess now, uh, I'm one of those people like uh, like knowing Tarzan. Although I've read a lot of Tarzan. Uh, that I've seen two or three episodes, mm-hmm. and I've read some of the comics and, that Moonstone has done, and love the character, and that's it. I've never seen yep. the actual two movies. Tarzan the movie, the uh, no, movies. not Tarzan. I've never seen oh. Night Stalker or Night Strangler. The movies oh, really? are great, okay. and by the way, they're both on. I think all of it is on YouTube. I couldn't find it. I, I, I actually, I found. I found the, the Peacock locked it up or Sci-Fi locked it up for a while. I, Peacock, I Peacock doesn't have it, it. I watched it on YouTube okay. less than a month ago. So the Maybe movies. Maybe a month and a half ago. Yeah, the movies, yeah. Okay, that's good to know. They're, they're available. Of uh, The latest was by a Restoration Films. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they're they're both available for sale, but I couldn't find them. I'll, s- I'll, I'll send you guys the links to everything. Okay. Because yeah, because when I took the gig, I said let me rewatch the pilot movies just to sort of see. Uh, yeah. Because I I don't think I had. I mean, it's funny when you say it's the fiftieth anniversary. That tells me, oh, I was six. <laughs> you know, right. I, I, I watched I, this thing I, on TV when I was six. How crazy I remember is the that? Kids, I remember the kids in my fourth and fifth grade class talking about it. My my mm-hmm. my parents did not like me watching monsters, so mm-hmm. I was not allowed to watch Night Stalker. Although I guess in hindsight too, it was on at like ten o'clock on Friday nights. No way was which I. Which makes it all the more crazy that I saw it when I was six years old. That maybe yeah. I'm a. Maybe I saw a rerun, but I know I saw the show when I was a kid, and I know I yeah. saw the first movie because a lot of it was familiar to me. I know kids. I remember the vampire. I'm yeah. a little, uh, I'm a little older than both of you. I watched it from the first thing all the way through. I was a, an incredible. I was just totally sold on. Well, it. you you graduated college at that point, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I, had, I had my my first house. You no. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the 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 series is actually available for free on the NBC app. Yes. Yes, I started watching those as well. And uh yeah, so so yeah, I watched it again just to sort of remind myself of who the character was and what the tropes were and I will also say there's a there I always think it's irresistible when you mash up genres that have not been mashed up before. And if there's a thing that horror suffers from, it's over seriousness. Mm, and yeah. if you re- I, there's a quote from Matheson somewhere where he said, I wanted to lean into the front page, fast talking reporter aspect of the book harder even than he did in the book. And that's the genius of it is that instead of him being a self-serious monster hunter, you know, he's not Van Helsing. Uh, he's not, you know, I mean, this is pre blade, but he's not blade. He's a. You know, he's a he's a crime reporter who I have stumbles to, I, into it. I have to share, David. I, I posted the Kickstarter on my, my Facebook page, and a friend of mine said, you know, I really want to believe that Kolchak is Ralphie's father, who, <laughs> who has just somehow gone to a different... But the, a, the age doesn't add up. I mean, especially because... Let's, <laughs> let's, let's well, he's one of those guys who just looks old, right? Yeah. yeah, but to get to the anthology is, you know, this is, mm-hmm. David's got the 30s. This is going, in their press release says, this is going to, like, his last adventure as well in the yeah. early aughts. Mm-hmm. So, yep. you're covering this, and I, I, I'd be remiss. I mean, of course, you're on, so we're going to talk a lot about you, but to, but some of the other, and truly, master storytellers uh, yeah. as well, they're involved. You've got Peter David. I, I think he'd done a few for Moonstone before, so that didn't surprise me so much. But Kim Newman, uh, mm-hmm. Richard Christian Matheson, so Richard Matheson's yes, son is doing that's, a piece. That's it's very it's wonderful to be included with him. The great Nancy Collins, yes, and Jonathan Mayberry, uh, mm-hmm. and and Jonathan is an astounding writer. Um, and you know, so. and the and the current editor or publisher of Weird Tales. Weird Tales, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, Which uh, I was happy to find out. He's yeah, editor. Yeah. Um, we are talking. It's it hasn't. It's been an interrupted conversation, and I don't know it'll go anywhere. But I am talking to him about getting a comics feature in Weird Tales. Oh, nice! Well, well that's cool. awesome. I'll, it may, I'll, I'll, it I'll may go. An, I'll send him an email and prod him. We are acquaintances. It may go nowhere, but my dad's very first published work 
which must have meant the world to him as a child of the 20s and 30s, was he sold a short story to Weird Tales called The Man Who Walked on Air. Uh, and I've, I, suggested to, uh, I suggested to him that, we, that I adapt that for weird tales oh that'd be cool he may he may not go for that he may but uh yeah james aquilone told me that he he they had been discussing adding comics to weird weird tales so he put me in touch it with makes mayberry, sense mayberry is doing it. A, doing more comics too i mean yeah. aside from this he's doing something for marvel again yeah and uh you know and, and i and we kickstart I got to go back in and see if I actually pledged all the way. There's also a version of this anthology that has 10 uh, prose stories. And so, you know, this is, I mean, this is massive and okay. If you're like me and you've only been on the edge of, of Kolchak, this is diving into the deep end, but I think you're going to be rewarded by doing so. It's yeah. the, The aforementioned Rodney Barnes is doing a 1970s Harlem set story. Uh, with an artist uh, whose last name, sadly, I'm not going to try and pronounce uh, off the top of my head, but a great artist who does really moody, spooky, painted work, uh, James uh, Jonathan, who's oh, really great. And uh, so that the, the, all of them are going to be really. I'm really looking forward to it as a fan. Honestly, I, I you know, I, I went to pledge and went. Wait a minute, you're you're in it. Don't you? It's okay. <laughs> They might give they, you a PDF. They, I, uh, I think I, I think I think you might get one of these. So don't you yeah. don't have to you don't have to give something towards it. So as we wrap up, I mean, you just talked about weird tales, and and you alluded mm-hmm. as we were chatting yesterday a little bit. There's a lot coming for you in 2022. Yes. So let's talk about that. Let's open up. I mean, I know that as we said in LA Comic Con, I really am hoping that uh, if people haven't got picked up Nightmare Theater that the short story you have there, uh, World War II stories as grim fairy tales as told by your father, yes. I want more of that. And I have been, I have pitched that's that. That's my pushing that, you, yeah. Well, thank you, I appreciate that. I have been pitching that. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I think I have a publisher for it, but I'm not sure I want to go with that, and I'm still sort of weighing well, that yeah, don't, idea. Well, yeah, don't go into that. I think that's, I but, think that's uh, where but you yeah, were that's, in December. That's, yeah, yeah that, we're, still, we're still talking. But uh, as far as other stuff, um, I have an Elvira series coming in the next year that's, uh, at the moment, it's called Elvira in Horrorland. And it's um, it, it the premise is that all movies create their own little pocket universes, Mm-hmm. And Elvira gets lost in them, and the first movie that she gets lost in is, and obviously all of these are are pastiches for legal reasons. Yes. But the first movie she gets lost in is very obviously Psycho, um, and that is an incredibly fun issue. I just wrote the solicit for that today and sent it off to uh, Joe Ryban, and I'm probably not the first. Uh, writer to come up with the phrase Hitchcock tease, but uh, I may be the first one who have gotten it in previews. So, uh, so that's go. a good yeah. thing. Good. Yeah. And the second issue is going to, the second issue is going to be the shining. Um, and beyond that, there are a couple of approvals, things I got to go through to make sure we're on the same page. I really want to do alien. And the only thing that Cassandra has ever vetoed, the only pitch she has ever vetoed was Elvira in space. And I want to make sure that that doesn't apply to putting her in a parody of Alien. I think it won't, 
but we'll see. And uh, believe it or not, I've also it has this has absolutely been announced nowhere. But uh, they asked me for a Red Sonia pitch, and I have a at dynamite. Yeah, so I have a four issue Red Sonia series coming Very that nice. I'm writing. It should be called Red Sonia the Crimson Calypso. And it is a let's just say I am hoping to invent the genre hard boiled sword and sorcery. Okay. So that should be good fun. And I have an upcoming uh there's a issue coming up of Red Sonia Black, White and Red that I have a ten page story in, and I have an eight page story in the Vampirella Valentine issue. Okay, so you've got a lot. You do I got. Lot. I am. I am keeping, as they say, busy, uh, <laughs> and it's it's good to be. And those are all again. I, I, the we haven't locked down an artist on the Red Sonia thing yet. I think Sylvia Califano is going to be drawing Elvira in Horrorland, and she we we have a whole uh, thirty-two page Elvira graphic novel at no graphic novella that is completed and waiting to be kickstarted. Uh, okay. With the compelling title of The Death of Elvira. Mm. Uh, and it's sort of a parody of her own memoir. Yeah, okay, there you go. <laughs> so so we'll to that. It's, it's fun stuff. But uh, but yeah, all, all of that is coming in, uh, in 2022. And I got other ridiculous irons the fire my indie my creator owned series that i co-created with uh, kevin eastman drawing blood we are in final negotiations to have it set up with a publisher so we won't be we won't be self-publishing it going forward it will actually be at a small indie publisher that we are very fond of uh the ink is not dry so i will not name them uh but we will make a lot of noise about it we're hoping to announce it at comics pro all right. Well, good. We look forward to that. And and thank, thank you. you for coming in on what I, I'd say is pretty short notice. You know, all of this ah, came my together. Pleasure. Always, guys. Yeah. Always happy so, to come on. So uh, once again, uh, if you want to join the conversation and, and have questions, comments, compliments, commentary, or criticism, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. Uh, once again, I, you know, I know that uh, there are a lot of podcasts out there. I, I believe David himself hosts about 16. Uh, so uh, it's only two. It's only two. Okay. Uh, you know, so, uh, so I know there's a lot. We appreciate you taking the time to, to include this one in, in, in your playlist. So, uh, always I'm, a pleasure to talk to you guys. Seriously. I'm Derek McCaw. I'm David Avalone. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to, Use your powers, powers for, for good. good. And thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreat.com. Luke, L-U-K-E-S-K-I, dot com. With great power must come. Um, must come great, great responsibility. responsibility. Yeah.